What's up? Welcome to Sweathead with Mark Pollard. I have Steph Hemmerlink, who's a brand strategist in Belgium and runs the Let's Talk Branding podcast in which he's played this investigative role of investigating his own work to improve at it, to understand it better. And uh, part of what we're going to try to understand together better today is the concept of soft skills in doing brand strategy work. Welcome, Steph. Hey, Mark. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm excited. Pleasure, pleasure. We don't hear about Belgium that much. I mean, amazing football team. Which city are you in? I'm in Ghent. It's a small but beautiful, like really historic city, which I haven't seen for the last uh, few weeks because of uh, the lockdown, but it's a really lovely little city. Beautiful. And does Belgium affect how you approach brand strategy? It's a big Vague question. I can say that Australia affects how I do strategy, but does does Belgium play a role in how you approach strategy? That's that's a really interesting question, and and there's probably like a million ways to answer this. But being it in the context of like soft skills, there's there's probably something about like the. F- Flemish people that we say we we on one hand we're really like shy people we are not like the these are cliches of course we're not like the Dutch very outspoken but we're also we we love uh, absurdity very much that's something typical of Belgium actually there's a lot of famous artists like Magritte that are really f- like fond of the absurd and I think sometimes that for me in in brand strategy i like having like these humorous or a bit weird moments or or having like a little bit of ambiguity that's something i love but it's not for everyone so i don't know if it's belgium or just me but it i can link it to our culture for sure hmm. where do you think the shyness comes from hmm that's a good well we might we might go into like a, a whole story of our flemish history which is really sensitive about it's being a people that's been oppressed by many many um different countries and so they're used to being a bit like yeah oppressed but i don't know if it if that is really what's going on but it is there is something about flemish people being like for example if i talk to a lot of people from the states they feel really open and excited and here if we're doing business that's not that's not really the case people are really down to earth really yeah more introverted it's interesting because i guess over time if cultures if societies pay a price for something or they benefit in extraordinary ways for something those things become more exaggerated in the u.s from what i understand for example It's a land of abundance. And so the individual needs to stand out. And that's not just because of the narrative of certain religions in that being an amazing individual got you into heaven. And if you weren't amazing, you wouldn't get into heaven. But when there's a lot of resources around, from what I understand, you need to stand out to attract those resources. In places like Australia, which doesn't have a lot of... uh, uh, resources in the more practical sense. I mean, we've got things that people are digging out of the ground and selling to other <laughs> countries, but we don't have a lot of resources. So to stand out in a culture like that can mean that you're somewhat of a threat. And so Australians have this weird shyness on the one hand, and then overseas we're seen as being these really liberated exotic people because we travel and get drunk all the time. And then I'm dealing with cultural stereotypes here, but I hear them (laughs) a lot. And then the other thing is we have like a very severe put down culture where you run a risk if you stand out and you think you're better than someone because there's constant put downs in a lot of, a lot of families and a lot of communities. Obviously they're 
I think these are largely true. They're not entirely true. And, and I think within the strategy world, there's a, a certain irreverence that comes from this put down culture that leads to work being immediately cheeky and provocative. That is not the case in other cultures that are more conservative and where I think advertising to me feels way more propagandistic, like here's what to think about this topic. <laughs> when you think about advertising in Belgium, which I, I'm like, oh gosh, I can't even think of one example of an ad or a piece of communication that I've seen from Belgium. What are some of the cultural dynamics at play in advertising there? You know, what, what, if I just turned up today, what, what values, what attitudes do you think I would see and recognize in the advertising in Belgium? Hmm. Yeah, there's, there's like, I think it's probably, it's been a while since there, there were, there were these ads, but these are the ads of my, let's say my childhood and adolescence, which I really loved. And those were really the absurd humoristic types of ads, but not like slapstick humor, but really weird, like almost, yeah, absurd humor ads. Those were really funny where like a guy got dragged by his scarf uh, across the street while he was calling and that was like he was calling with his mom but he was being dragged around the street these like weird jokes that kind of adds that those are like really typical i think flemish humor but then on the other hand you have the more stereotypical like mainstream ads which are really quite boring quite like traditional like it's it's family it's it's being together it's i'm thinking of like some interesting ads that popped out for me for and i think what we do have is a big tradition of like um we have some really products like beer and chocolate which are huge so there's a lot of heritage and a lot of proudness thrown around and a lot of like family values a lot of these businesses have like names that's that are that have been around for 100 years or more so they love to play that out even like uh stella artois and all these beers that are essentially like uh, international companies now they still like in a belgian market of course they need to play to that heritage even more but it's becoming tricky for them because they are such a huge company so yeah i don't know if that's a, an answer it's a bit everywhere <laughs> no totally totally so let's let's get into the topic of soft skills but in doing so let's start with the definition how do you see soft skills versus hard skills hmm yeah, already a tricky thing. I think soft skills probably are things that um, I shouldn't say can't be learned. They're not knowledge for sure. I mean, they are not like theories or things you can learn that way. They're things that are they're they're close to personality traits, but they're, they're, you can put work in them. They're not like hard coded in, inside your. Although you probably have traits that lead into them, I think they're not hard coded and they're not knowledge. It's more what they are not, but what they are, I can't really define that. You're better with words, Mark. Tell me, tell me what they are. <laughs> oh, I, I I don't know. I mean, I don't use the delineation too much, but I do think it is a useful delineation to explore during your career and then to just move on from it. But I, I don't know, I, I guess soft skills are things that are difficult to measure, maybe operating from a deeper place of wisdom and intuition to pick up on the point that you were making. Yeah. Uh, and they're things that people might find difficult to put a dollar amount to judge and, and yet they can be the invisible things that make the hard skills viable and effective. 
Yeah, and what's interesting to me is the fact that it's even even that it's called soft skills is probably not a, not a good word because soft sounds like it doesn't have the same impact. But I, I think a lot of soft skills can can have like a really hard impact on on what you're doing. So it's interesting to me, but it's probably has to do with like that they are a bit more on the emotional side of things, maybe less about pure rational thinking. Although it, it of course again there's a lot of blurriness in and slice and so it's not per se the best um, way to call it I actually called it in a blog post I called it virtues although they're not like 100% the same I, I see them as similar things yeah you could say that writing a creative brief is a hard skill that requires soft skills <laughs> right like <laughs> you know and the soft skill could be to ask a person that third fourth fifth question that is not on your discussion guide but something that just triggers your curiosity and you go in there and you ask a delicate question such as, well, why is that? When wasn't that the case? So there's a certain curiosity there that you could say is a, is a soft skill and curiosity is a personality trait. So I, I, I get where we're going. I get where we're going. What do you think are some of the most important soft skills? Let's list them out, discuss them, debate them. Okay. Maybe one of the, one of the, the first ones I'd love to talk about is like, curiosity and again yeah as you see we're already in a more of a personality trait so i would say like being curious being very interested in things is something that's that's really important i think if you're in this field because you do want to like get excited about learning more and and like trying different different topics and different perspectives and and I think curiosity is probably something that needs to be there because otherwise it's going to be really boring getting all the research done talking to all these people going in all these different industries I, I mean that would be something really tricky yeah and that's best expressed through the personality trait o Sorry, I like to talk about the big five personality traits that were whittled down from, I think, 16 and 25. There's like this process of different researchers trying to work out the taxonomy of, of human personality traits mm -hmm. a long time ago. And from what I understand, some of the more some of the more robust, some of the most agreed upon research in psychology is the idea of five personality traits because things like introversion and extroversion, they, they actually get debated a little bit. But generally speaking, you've got OCEAN, O-C-E-A-N, You've probably heard me talk about this before. Not you, but other people. But O is openness. C, conscientiousness. Mm -hmm. E, extroversion or introversion. A, agreeableness or disagreeableness. And neuroticism, which generally means you bounce around a little bit. And the O, openness, is really what you're looking for in curiosity. And the thing is, there have been a lot of articles written by heads of planning saying the most important thing I look for is curiosity. And if you're coming up, that can be like uh, so cliche. But the thing is, what they're searching for in that cliche word is your behavior. And if you're a curious individual and you want to be a planner and you're interviewing with someone who wants curious individuals, they will ask you questions such as like, what are you into? It's a very simple question. What are you into? And if you've got an answer for that, they'll be like, oh, yeah, have you, what do you do with that? Like, what have you done about it? What research have you done? Or how have you expressed yourself through that? So there'll be follow-up questions that will dig into testing you to see whether you are actually curious or whether you're using it as a, a button to press of someone who might hire you. And uh, so there is definitely truth within the cliche and it's worth, it's, it's definitely worth exploring. What else? Yeah. What's I, another? I, I think oh, it's, 
No, no, no. It's 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 like look look at your bookshelf, and if there are own because I I've been in this case where I looked and I saw like twenty books of like books on brand differentiation and books on branding, and and like I started realizing that actually I was interested in a lot of other things like philosophy and art, and and I I started leaning into that more and more as I become older, and it's interesting to me because those things actually matter a lot, and just so maybe that's like something you can work on uh, is like just surround yourself with different uh, fields of interest and and so yeah curiosity another one um, patience is I think uh, also a really big one being patient having the patience when you're doing the work and not like expecting immediate uh, success uh, I think you, you you've mentioned this when in the context of writing a lot and I really like that and I think like all big writers or people in, in literature, they, they tell you like you need to write, rewrite, rewrite and, and keep going. And I think patient, you, ha- you need to have patience to do that because otherwise you're going to want like the immediate big result, the big ID and you're going to go too fast. Mm. Here's the riddle with patience and it is as <laughs> follows. How much patience is enough patience? <laughs> That's a good question. I don't like because I've been in a lot of strategy projects where I was like almost depleted. And and luckily there is like a thing called the sweat head group where I can go and throw my um, frustrations and maybe like, guys, I'm really stuck. But still, like you you need to then be able to to wait. And, and, And I'm not saying like being patient in the sense of being idle, but I'm saying like being patient while doing the work is really important. So just like talk to people, do research and know that there will be something there, but it might take you a bit longer than you expected because at the beginning of a project and I've been there, you dive into the research, like really excited and you start looking at competitors and you start seeing these things. But then all of a sudden there's like this draft period where there's nothing. And then there, that's where it's really important to have some patience. But how much is enough? I have no idea. Yeah, there's probably a spectrum which includes the observation that at some point you might pay a price for your patience. Uh, I remember talking to uh, like a global head of new business, someone who's doing multi, multi-million dollar deals very often, uh, and talking about Australians, for example. And he said that, uh, oh yeah, you Australians in advertising, you're not marathon runners, you're sprinters. And it's true, like we expected to do great work in most places I've worked every every few months, if not if, if not every week, but like definitely more often than the cadence that I've seen in agencies in New York. And it used to drive me nuts. So I was like, why are things taking so long? Why are there so many people in meetings? Why does everyone get to have an opinion? Because the opinions, no one even, even listens to the opinion. There's this performance of listening to the opinion, but we all know, according to research, that decisions in the US are more top-down than they appear to be uh, and that includes in, in, in democracy um, and I, I have a feeling that for me patience that word could be uh, replaced by the word compassionate and mm-hmm. I, I think that's to me become a more useful word where you, you need to connect with a sense of compassion for the project maybe or for the people working on the project and for yourself and I think compassion is a way to achieve patience rather than focusing on being patient versus impatient. That's something that is that, that I, I feel I appreciate now, but it took me <laughs> a few decades to arrive at. 
No, I, I like that. And, and what's good about compassionate is also that I think sometimes we, we because of all the like hard knowledge we need to consume, we tend to be over-focused almost on what our job means. And we almost forget about like, who are we doing this for? What, what are we helping this organization with? Because we're so like focused on the hard knowledge. And I think again, yeah, just knowing that you're doing this for the right reasons and knowing what those reasons are is probably a good way to, to indeed like instill that patience as well. Yeah. And that you could argue that what you just said there is a way to explore compassion, but that could be a soft skill as well. I think planners and strategy folk often have to, or can often benefit from playing the role of, hang on, let's just remind ourselves why we're here again. And to not ask that question in a passive aggressive way, but often meetings roll into meetings and then someone's like, what do we need to do? And you're like, hang on, just briefly guys. And please don't say, let's take a step back. <laughs> uh, but like, Hey, let's just remind ourselves of why we're here again and then go and then start. It'll take a minute. We'll, center and then we'll go again. So that to me is a, a soft skill of a strategist, which I guess you could call centering. <laughs> hmm. Centering. That sounds like a yoga, yoga technique or something. <laughs> yes. Another one, maybe uh, pragmatic, being pragmatic because, and, and again, I think if we look at being compassionate, you, you need, like, if you really want to solve the problem at hand and you you don't want to like create the best possible piece of work, maybe for you or your portfolio or whatever you, you think you're doing, I think being pragmatic is an important one, especially, and, and it might sound a bit weird in like a strategy phase, because I think we're, we're all very much like trying not to make it about tactics and so pragmatism may sound a bit weird but i think it's again that same idea of bringing it to like what is the actual problem to be solved here and just avoiding letting yourself go in like um terminology and and what we do in advertising or branding or whatever space you're in that like going too far yeah yeah and that's having the ability to enjoy all the intellectualism and the information and then to have a question which is like, okay, what do we need to do about it, right? It's about it's pragma being pragmatic is about action, correct? Mm -hmm. yep. So having an action orientation while also allowing yourself to explore the absurd uh, things like a person being pulled across a road by a scarf, totally fine to explore that, but what are we going to do about it? And so you kind of need to maintain these two things, these two dynamics at any one time. What else? We've got four. Uh, Let's go. I don't know what number we're going for. It's going to turn into a listicle, but I'll, I'm here for the list. Twenty. No, no. Uh, uh, let's let's say uh, accept ambigu ambiguity. That's something um, that I, I, I told it before. Like when you asked me about Belgium, and it's like it's really that's something that's more of like it's more of a reminder for me that i i struggle with that a lot of times i need to like i i learn something one theory uh, let's say i learn about byron sharps how brands grow and then i see other stuff going on and and i can't match those two and i can't match it with reality and i start struggling with that and i guess like in our industry because it's so hard to like measure everything because there's a lot of different ambitions going on like accepting that two things can be true at the same time is probably something you need to learn or at least deal with. Yeah, and I, the soft skill within that is potentially to even admire things that don't make sense together. And you're like, let me just pause on that for a few minutes, a few mm -hmm. weeks. Because at 
to the point earlier, at some point you need to be pragmatic with it and turn it into a thing. But just to sit there compassionately and, and admire stuff that doesn't need to belong together or doesn't usually belong together, I, I think is important as well. And not to force it into an existing taxonomy. I like that one. Uh, also with ambiguity, there's a behavior that comes through in a statement in a meeting. And it's this, I don't know, but let me find out. <laughs> that is connected to a soft skill. And I think a lot of people, uh, there's so much pressure to be right and to be infallible that some people feel they're going to get judged if they don't have the answer in the moment. And that's a risky idea that you're going to have an answer to every single question in every single meeting in the moment. And that if you don't have it, that you're not good as opposed to, oh, uh, let me get back to you. I'll go find out. Oh, that's a great question. Cool. Yeah, that's that's so funny because I, I have these moments where where like I do feel like I, I need to hang on to a certain point and I, and at a certain point you become like entrenched in your opinion and it's so hard to to get out that and and what you said like that sentence of let's let's just go and find out instead of like trying to make it a debate here it's that's such a strong point for sure. Were you always comfortable with ambiguity in the in the work that you're doing? Is it something that you're trying to embrace more now? I try to, yeah, for sure. I, I like I think for me what's interesting is I, I tend to see it as uh, like layers. And and it doesn't mean because on the one level somebody does something that works for for him or for her that 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 can't mean anything else on another level for example especially in our industry we can analyze things on a very scientific way and maybe have numbers but there is also personal ambitions and so somebody can do something that might not work on the numbers level but might work very well for for him or for her and and i just read this book by uh, rory sutherland uh, alchemy which is also like when you're talking about soft skills like seeing the alchemy in things so so not always trying to see the logic in things is probably something that's really closely related to this one mm, love it i love it let's let's do let's do a few more what else you got um i'm, I'm almost running out mark no <laughs> got a few more uh, <laughs> there, there you go. there's, like, a, there's a soft skill called uh don't run out <laughs> it's called infinity <laughs> it's called infinity maybe it's called just be prepared man <laughs> no hey these things for those who don't know this is these interviews are always spontaneous there's barely any preparation because i trust the conversation we, we'll get somewhere don't you worry for sure but in all transparency i did i did wrote a blog post on it for someone from the <laughs> so just so people don't think. so also a soft skill don't lie not always uh be humble is something i i wrote down because i think again it's probably overlapping with other other things we see but like knowing that you don't have the absolute answer and and like accepting that somebody in a meeting might say something completely different and Maybe there's some truth in that is something I think that's really important. Do you feel that there's pressure to lie? Hmm. I don't think I ever feel pressure to lie. I do think sometimes there's pressure to flourish things, like to make things sound better than they are, especially in like the when you're presenting strategy work. There's like, you you only have the words and I'm a designer from origin. So I tend to like make things 
I love to make things visual in, in branding or, or anything, but like I need to separate that from, from the strategy part. And that's why I like force myself to work in this uh, keynote presentation I have that's just black and uh, white text. And then of course I, I do use some images, but so to get to that point, it's like sometimes I think I probably use too much words or I tend to make them very special because I like, it's too simple otherwise. Mm. Yeah, the irony about this is that I I deeply believe that doing the work we do is about lasering in on the truth. Mm-hmm. And yes, you can be in environments, possibly even working with clients who are like, we can't say that, or that's not true, or that's a negative thing. And you're like, no, let's just allow it to be because truth is very rarely absolute, right? And one truth will often take effect or appear within a set of other unspoken truths. And so the thing is just to enjoy it. And, you know, we were kicking around in a, in an online workshop recently, something about jewelry for a jewelry company in, in Belgium. And we, and I know there were potentially some gender uh, stereotypes at play here, but we were, we were looking at a brief about how do you get couples to, well, a, one person in a couple to buy a relatively expensive (laughs) ring right for a special occasion such as an engagement and the thing is like after we got off that i was like oh it reminds me of that scene in indiana jones where they have to choose the different goblets and if you choose like the fancy goblet the really expensive one you're probably going to die or turn into the devil so you've got to work out which goblet to choose because there are so many ways to get it wrong and if you get it wrong your partner might go hey you don't even know me why are we even getting married so you could pay a really big price for this now I think that's true. And I think a lot of people would relate to it. The thing is, ironically speaking, that there would be a lot of companies and even a lot of strategists who would find that too true or too raw for them. And so you got to, mm-hmm. and, and to me, I'm like, it, it's let it be and then work out what you want to do with it. Do you find in the work that you do that the kinds of truth that you're talking to clients about are at that level or are they at a more kind of corporate and uh, vanilla level, just in case, you know, because you don't want to offend people. How, how are you personally orienting into the truth? It's, it, that's, a, that's a great question because like I, I started like I think a year ago, some, I was probably on a place where I had like more deeper truths um, on brands, like like really like human truths or, or more emotional things about it. And, and more recently, I think I started making, maybe I, I went too far on the pragmatism and I started making them a bit less, like, uh, what should I say, less iconic is not the word, less controversial. That's what I mean. Like I, because I feel like sometimes that's again, probably related to what I was saying before, like, because I felt like I was making too big of a statement for the brand to realistically fill in. And so I already was like, I I am already like tying that back in because I know like at a further point in time, that's never going to be something they want to work on. So that's like maybe something I struggle with is like, you you can see a truth that's there for for an industry or for a category, but if you can't bring it back to that client, or you you know they're never gonna support it, or it's too way too far for them, like how do you deal with that? It's it's a tough question, right? Because you obviously need to earn money, you need to survive, and and yet I'm not interested in that other work, and I've had to. This, I don't even think this is a soft skill, and it's not a surrender. 
uh, in like a deeply problematic way for me. But I, I think in my past decade, I'd, I've had to detach myself from the idea that if I play with a, so that Indiana Jones example is, uh, to me, this is like a, a practical technique that I often will do is if I'm thinking about a problem to solve, I will jump into a visual metaphor or something from a movie or something from a song just so that I can get some fresh energy in it. And then I'll come back and restate the problem. But I feel there's a level of truth in that problem statement that, uh, that I just mentioned. And the thing is, I've had to detach myself from the idea of that style of planning and strategy ever leading to work in public because in Australia, I expected it to. And it's just not the case everywhere. <laughs> so uh, that's, uh, I think that's like a soft skill I've, I've had to learn. And it's, there is a surrender, but it's not nihilistic. It's like, I'm going to do the work and hopefully some of this will get through and I'm going to push it to get through. But if it doesn't, hey, we're just going to have to, we'll go again. It's, it's okay. Have you found yourself talking to yourself differently like that over the years? Yeah, for sure. And and that's maybe funny because I, I mentioned in the beginning, like this, probably it's, there is something true about brands, the brands I work here with in Belgium, probably they tend not to be that bold or, or tend not to make statements about other companies or categories or, or truths. It's going to be really hard for them because we do have like this thing, like just be, be good, be in your corner and do your thing. And then it will happen for you, but don't, don't start screaming about. So probably there is something to that cultural thing where 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 you feel but sorry i lost your question mark i was it was more about have you had to take a new stance on the type of work that you do where in some point in your career perhaps you really pushed for something so for me i would push for like unusual provocative raw truth in my strategy and then have you have you found yourself having to be like ah uh, you know what i'm going to do it in a particular way, but if it doesn't work, it's okay. But essentially having to adapt a new stance towards the work that you would do that would, to our earlier point, make you feel compassionate for yourself as opposed to like, oh, I'm so frustrated. Why doesn't any of my thinking get made? Why doesn't any of the stuff that I do research on ever happen? Like, ah. <laughs> well, it's definitely a frustration and, and probably something I've been through so a lot of times and and probably some the reason why i i take less riskier paths sometimes but it's definitely got to do with like i i, I think what i got better at is like understanding what clients um this will work on and what clients it won't. So I, I, I always try to do uh, some, some workshops before I get to like strategy definition. And I do feel like with some clients, we can get really deep in this, this whole truth ID and we can get some really interesting stuff. And with other clients, I feel like they're never going to go there and they're just going to dismiss it. So I don't, I like, it's it's gonna be useless to to go there too far, but what I do try to do, and that's something that's maybe that's uh, I also got this from you, is like don't be afraid to to add in these these moments of of like laughter or or, or like adding a, a a quote or a gif or something from a movie. Just 
even if the, these guys are maybe, let's say they are really stiff upper lip clients and they don't want to like talk about this emotional stuff, you can still get away with some, like you can still challenge them. So don't, I, probably the baddest idea here is to really just accept that like they are upper lip because it is your role to make it more human, I suppose. But there is probably due to experience some kind of like understanding of where you can go deeper and where you can't. Yeah, there's, there's also an acceptance in what you actually want to do, which might come out in a... Some people have that from a very young age and that's just how they are. And some people think they have it and then they feel they pay a tax for it, a price for it. And then they do the conservative thing for a while. And then they're like, you know what? That didn't work for me. I just went through a bunch of crises, lost clients, lost relationships. You know what? I'm going to be, be who I am. And they end up putting that out into the world in a bigger way. And that attracts more of what they want. And it's funny because as, as you were taught, I can hear in your face, like I used to get called shy all the time as a kid to the point that it made me more shy and it made me quite scared of communicating out loud, even though I loved to communicate through words and, uh, you know, singing and things like that. But I used to get labeled with, oh, you're so shy. And it was not in a nice way. Uh, and the thing is hearing you talk about shyness and absurdity, if that's in the DNA of Belgium, I could totally see you building your strategy practice and frameworks around those two ideas. And it's no more complicated than this. What are people shy about? Well, for example, when uh, these people buy diamond rings for their partners, they're shy about getting it wrong and they're, uh, why, why are they shy about it? So you go, what are they shy about? Why are they shy about it? Well, they're shy about it because like, the, their partner might think that they really don't understand them. And in the extreme case, maybe they shouldn't get married. Like, and we've all seen people throw tantrums about expensive things that they should not be throwing tantrums about. They should be very thankful from. And then the third question is like, how do we bring this to life in, a, in an absurd way? So I could totally see a little framework for the work that you do that is true to the themes that you have uh, brought up. And as you're talking to me, I can, I can sense that shyness in the, in the face. I used to blush a lot as well. Uh, <laughs> but then you put it out and it's like, this is how I operate. Do you want that? Yes. Good. Okay. That's what we're doing. You don't have to kind of like hedge your bets and half step and just hope you get to do the work that you want to do. Not that that's a problem that you've, you've brought to me and not that I feel that I need to solve it. I, I just, I, I just like trying to create these little frameworks from things that someone's brought up that they're Maybe they're not even connected into themselves. Like, you know, you could use those two words. That could be your, the basis of your entire next 20 years. And I find that really interesting. I'm making it up, but I find it really interesting. No, but it is. Yeah. And, and, and it, it's also like probably something to do with, like, I, I tell this often to myself and to other people, like there is something to be told about embracing friction. It sounds a bit uh, cliche, but I think like if you, that's something I, I learned and I am a bit shy, but the more I do this stuff, being in workshops, being with people, talking about these this stuff about brands, the more I can feel like if, if there's somebody doubting, I can address that now more easily than I could like four years ago or even two years ago. And like accepting that maybe somebody isn't on board and talking about that is also, I think, a great soft skill, just like bringing up the elephant in the room but in a way that it's not like confrontational because again like if you do that here if you just confront somebody you're you're done i mean then they just shut down uh right you've got the shadow of the dutch so i'm sure the confrontational trait is something that yeah as you mentioned earlier i think you would associate with the dutch and that maybe that carries carries some historical baggage with it how did you become more at peace with the idea of uh 
expecting and then managing friction? I guess it has to do probably a, also a big part of it is probably knowing that I'm going to be able to solve it after I break it open. <laughs> because I, I used to think like, if this comes up, I'm, I'm going to have no idea what, what to answer. I'm, I'm, we're going to be lost. So I was f like afraid of the, the things happening that, that will probably happen. So I, I tended to avoid them. And I think the more you break open these situations, the more you understand that what comes after will probably be okay. And that's something that Probably, or maybe we're getting too much into like it's this is almost like a therapeutical conversation, but uh, it's it's probably the same way as if you are like in personal relationships. I was always really afraid to confront someone with something that happened or talk about something problematic, and then the more you do that, the more you see it actually like it's gonna be okay. But that same thing applies to client relations, I think. Mm. Yeah, it's funny. I like a little bit conflict and tension in interviews and then I avoid it in most parts of my, the rest of my life because I've got two modes and there's real conflict happening and then conflict evasion. And it's, it's, not, it's not useful. It's something that I, I definitely uh, need to work on because as you say, for a lot of people, relationships can flourish if you can argue, well, I suck at it because <laughs> for various reasons that I'll get into uh, in some other therapy session. All interviews are therapy, by the way. You know that, right? Yeah, for sure. And and maybe one one thing that's also really important I think is is uh, exciting people. I mean, it it sounds basic, but I think it is really important that after all the research and al analysis and all the the stuff you can tell about a brand it's still really important to have like this moment where where everybody like at the end of a presentation i do want to have this feeling that there is going to be almost high fives or at least like some some nodding going on like yeah this is this is something good this is we're going to work on that and and that's probably not the first or the second or the fifth meeting but you need to have that point where everybody is excited and i don't know if that's like an easy skill and it probably has to do as much with the work but it's also a lot about how how you build up like your presentation if it's like i learned a lot from studying like uh, story arcs and i i noticed the moment i started applying story arcs to my presentations people became a lot more exciting yeah the idea of excitement and energy is a funny one because i think for some clients especially with big businesses with heavy procurement and maybe maybe the marketing teams that are not trained in insights and, and creativity, which is a lot of them these days. And at the same time, there are very well-known marketing organizations such as Diageo, which have literally written books on strategy and creativity. So it's not everyone, but I think in general, a lot of people in the marketing world could, could benefit from spending more time around learning about creativity and, uh, and, and, and brand strategy, but in the way that we do it, not just like an MBA approach. The, the irony here is that you're trying to create excitement in people to change their behavior to buy something. There has to be energy. And yet in the business-to-business -business interaction of strategist or agency to client, sometimes they're told like in a procurement-led pitch, do not show any reaction in the pitch. And so some of us have been in rooms with like 20 people and they just stonewall you. They're not allowed to react. Uh, and every now and then someone will make a little noise. You're like, oh, thank God, there's a little bit of a reaction there. But the, 
marketers can really benefit from encouraging and almost demanding excitement in agency presentations as opposed to feeling that they're losing by showing these people that they like what they've done or that it's stimulating them. It's a weird game because you're trying to create excitement in your customers. Oh, what a riddle. It is. It is. And, and I have, I've had these moments where I feel like throughout the presentation that it's really, that there is not a lot of things happening. And, and those were probably in, like in the more corporate sessions, but I did have like these moments where after like, and that's probably, again, if we tie it back to adding those little moments of humor or absurdity, that you can really break through those shields. And I've had that with like a financial company, which was like they were, real, they were all in, in like suit and tie and really serious banking people. But at the end, like at the end, because I had so much like humor and build up in the presentation, they were like, they were really standing up and high fiving. It was so funny to see because for them, it was a relief as well. Like, yes we can be excited because this is something else than our normal day job. And <laughs> it was so cool to see that. Totally. And, you know, I, I remember a, a pitch a colleague did back in Sydney for a newspaper. This is like 10, 12 years ago. And the client left and said, I haven't felt excited about my business in such a long time until now. And that's a beautiful piece of feedback to give an agency that you might not have hired for the job yet, but also such an important signal because you should want to feel excited if you're in a marketing role working with an agency. And so it's a, it's a weird little wrestle here. So Steph, I've written down nine. I, I think there's probably more than nine that we've, we've gone through. There's curiosity, patience, I wrote down centering as well, uh, mm -hmm. pragmatism, dealing with ambiguity, enjoying ambiguity, not lying, humility, enjoying friction, uh, enjoying excitement. Is there one more, one more soft skill that you think is important? Hmm. There's definitely uh, a few more, but probably the one I wanted to talk about because uh, you, you're, you're, let's say it's um, listening the wow the, the ultimate cliche but <laughs> but still I, I think what you said about that compliment somebody saying like you you've never we've gotten really excited about that's like one of the best compliments and one of the other best signals or compliments i've ever had is like somebody saying you I, like i have the feeling you understand our industry better than we do like and that only happens if you are really like you, you show you've shown empathy you've you've really listened to to their customers you've listened to them you've like tried to understand them on a level that they were like they 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 almost were like amazed by that and it sounds of course a bit american <laughs> if we want to refer to a country but i think it is something if you can if you can do that like if you can show them a mirror of their own industry in a way that they haven't seen it before then i think you did something really nice yeah, I think uh, I, I like that. I'm, I'm going to combine that with a slightly opposite thought that you need to hold with curiosity, compassion and ambiguity. Is, and it's this, that sometimes I think in agencies, people say, oh, yeah, we need to know the business better than they, their clients know the business. I don't know about that. I mean, they should probably know their business better than you. And if you, th if you think that you know their business better than them, maybe you do, or maybe you're arrogant. So yeah. <laughs> I, I think there, there, are two, there are two thoughts there because what they're looking for, not all of them, but a lot of them are like, hang on, has this, 
is, has this person studied us? Do they really care? And have they put the initiative in, the effort into like working out what we're about, what the industry is about? And then once you have, they'll be like, ah, oh, got it. And a lot of people have built careers uh, as either consultants or even within an agency where they become essentially a consigliere to the marketing team because they have so much institutional and industry knowledge over, over time. And it's, it, it's good. It's a good career move, but it's also, it's fun, right? <laughs> that's something that's for me, it's just like I do, I shift from industry to industry a lot. Like I think each project is a different industry and that, that works really well for me because I'm, I, I, if I do like four real estate projects after each other, I become a bit bored and probably it's not good for the client as well because they, I, I tend to see like the same insights and things come up and it's really tricky for me to vary that. So I, I wouldn't be a good person to live in like one niche industry and be a specialist. Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of a lot of strategy folk would would identify with that, but some wouldn't. Some love to be a specialist. They love to focus on one industry, yeah. doing doing one kind of role within that uh, within the strategy world, within that industry, and maybe they feel that they are curious within that, but maybe also they're not, and it's it's okay. Whatever whatever works. Uh, Steph, where is the best place for people to find you on the internet? That's letstalkbranding.com. There you can find almost everything, podcasts and, and links to other stuff. So happy to see you there. Awesome. Awesome. Check it out. It's I always love seeing people sharing their own journeys, trying to explore their own industry uh, on the internet and in, and in podcasts. So uh, congratulations. May you continue to do more of it. And thank you for sharing all these soft skills with us today, Steph. Thanks. And maybe that's actually a good soft skill, like just share what you learn along the way instead of waiting until you're like an accomplished senior uh, thing. I couldn't do end it with one more bonus soft skill. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Share, share what you're learning as you're learning it. That, that, that definitely comes from a place of vulnerability, compassion and curiosity. All that's, that's like all those soft skills mixed together voilà. in, that, in that final <laughs> bonus soft skill. Uh, thank you so much, Steph. Be well. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Peace.